Welcome to Grace United Methodist Church Sermon Podcast. We are a group of people who are caring together and growing together. You can learn more about our church and its ministries at franklingrace.org. I was reminiscing about Christmas these last several days and preparing for this evening's service and You know, this is the time of year I miss my family, my Wyoming family, and I just want to give them a shout out. I don't know if they're watching, but maybe they are. So family, if you're watching, I love you and I miss you. And thank you for the lessons that you taught me. And one of those lessons I'm going to share with you all this evening. So as a kid, I was the youngest of five. And as a kid, there was something that my parents did that I could not understand. I don't know why they did it at the time. I just didn't get it. And probably because I was the youngest of five, I was too young or maybe too immature, immature, too selfish. No, I wasn't selfish. But too immature, perhaps, to really understand what they were doing and how it had a ripple effect. Some of you might know that my mom and dad were foster parents for several children. Someone actually calculated one time how many children and they came up with 30, the number 30. 30 children that my parents took in over the years. And I really can't remember a time when I was young when there weren't foster children in our house all the way through high school and even a couple years into college. Every time a child or children came to our home, my folks made room. And that was the part I didn't really understand. We made room. If it was at the table, it meant another place setting. If it was in the car, then it meant another car seat or, you know, back in that time, we got away with doubling up in the (laughs) seatbelts. Not that we ever do that now. If it was in front of the TV, it was an extra pillow on the floor or a blanket. If it was, uh, or a spot on the couch. If it was, In the bathroom, it was a new toothbrush for every child and fresh, clean towels. And if it was bedtime, it meant another place to sleep. And sometimes that place to sleep was on the fold-out couch or a pop-up playpen that we had. Or atop one of those makeshift mattresses where you just layer as many blankets and sleeping bags as you can and you just feel so special because you're on top of this amazing mattress. Or sometimes it was in my own room and I gave up my bed. We made room. We made room. It didn't matter if it was during the day or in the middle of the night. If the phone rang or the doorbell rang, mom and dad answered. They opened the door and made room. They didn't see it as an interruption or an inconvenience. They didn't feel it was trouble or a burden And I'm not sure they considered, at least not for very long, the challenges or the complications. They just did it. They just made room and bought more milk and peanut butter. (laughs) My mom told me once years later while sitting at the kitchen table when asked about all these foster children, she simply said somebody had to do it. Somebody had to make a place Somebody had to love them. And there's always room. Lord God, you are a God who makes room. 
When nothing and no one else does, you make room. So God, I ask you tonight, make room in, in us to remember with wonder, with awe, and to remember the beauty and the power of this moment we call Christmas. Amen. If you stop and think about it, you make room for a lot of things in your life. We make room for what or who is important to us. We make room for our to-do lists, you know, make time to get them all done. We make time for the things and the places that we enjoy. We allow space in our lives for the projects that we are passionate about. And if you're like me, you, you will always make more room for another book or a knickknack, not so much me, but I know there are some, knickknacks or make room for another collectible. Or if you're a teacher, I taught first grade for five years, six years, you always make room for those precious Christmas gifts you get from all the kids. We make room. And so tonight I ask you to think about how do you make room for God? And what does that even look like? What does that even mean, really? How does it make a difference in the way you engage with the world around you, the life you live? The past four weeks here at Grace Church, we've been making room by exploring the question, how does a weary world rejoice? Of course, taken from that beloved song, O Holy Night, how does a world, our world, whether it's the world right here or the world out there, how does a weary world that is worn out from all of the same stuff, different day kind of things happening around us, how do we have time or even the desire to rejoice? How does a world, a weary people who are physically emotionally and spiritually fatigued from the impact of it all, how do we have the energy to rejoice? And by it, being tired of it, I mean things like all the targeted acts of violence we hear about, we see or we, we listen or we scroll through. What about all the hate crimes, the political unrest and tensions. Is anyone even looking forward to an election year? Who said no one. <laughs> when we look at news from the war-torn countries and we just see the impact and the devastation it's, it's having on so many people, all of us living this post-pandemic life, all of us facing the rising cost of living, and the growing gap between the haves and the have-nots, issues of poverty and hunger and homelessness, they're not going anywhere. And we're tired, we're weary. And if you're not tired of it, you are tired of hearing about it and tired of people talking about it and tired of seeing it in the news or online or anywhere else you look. In the midst of all of that, how does a weary world rejoice? And so using art, and poetry, like the one you heard at the beginning of the service, and music, and using familiar songs and changing the lyrics just a little bit, we walked our way through Advent, that time of preparation. We walked through Advent 
preparing ourselves to live into an answer to that question. Each week, we challenged ourselves to make room for how such a familiar story, the story we will hear tonight, to make room for the idea of how that story could open up space, could make room in us, in here and in here, to make room for perhaps new understanding or growth or even transformation. Week one through the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we were presented the invitation to simply recognize our weariness as a way through to rejoicing, to admit it, and to quit putting on a, a happy face and, and standing up tall and, and always saying, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. I'm busy, but I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm great. I'm great. Oh, and how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward to the holidays. Everything's good. Everything's great. Let's go. And then you go cry in the shower because you're overwhelmed. Or you get in the car and you go for a long drive because you just need to get away for a minute and breathe. Or you call up your best friend and you're just like, you just let it go. So to admit our weariness is not a weakness, it's a strength. I heard earlier today, actually, uh, I actually watched a, a kid's movie, and uh, in that movie it said that, that um, admitting that we are weary, admitting that we are tired, admitting that we need help is, is not giving up, it's refusing to give up. So we must recognize that we are weary and not be afraid to be vulnerable and trust that in naming it, we can move forward. Week two brought us face to face with two incredible, radical, strong, amazing women, Elizabeth and Mary, and we were given insight that in, it is in making room for connection that brings rejoicing in the midst of our weariness. To realize that you're not the only one. <sighs> not the only one. I'm not the on only one overwhelmed by what's happening in the world. I'm not the only one who gets frustrated when our leaders just seem like they're not doing anything. I'm not, I'm not the only one that looks at life and, and just feels like, oh, I could have done that better, I could have done that better, or I'm not the only one dealing with the stress of just everyday life. Am I? Am I the only one? Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. That connection that you can, you can share with someone else and know that they understand. So you're not the only one facing an illness. You're not the only one going through a difficult time. You're not the only one who lost a job or lost a relationship or you're not the only one. And for Elizabeth and Mary, these were two women who were both at risk of public shaming because of their situation, both at risk of losing their personal and financial security, their social standing, should their husbands dismiss them. Elizabeth, older in years, what did we decide, maybe late 30s, early 40s? Yeah, she was old, old. And the other one, Mary, she, she was probably 12, 13, 14 years old. Elizabeth carrying in her womb, 
the one who would make way, the one who would be born John, become John the Baptist, the one preparing the way for the Lord to make room for what was to come. While Mary, carrying in her womb the one who is the way, and it is in their connection that they can rejoice. Because if you don't know that story, they, they, they were both separated or, or um, isolated, and they weren't sure who they could trust and who they could tell about what was happening and how they would go about it, and they would risk a lot. And so they connected with each other. So too, we can allow ourselves to connect in authentic ways than we find it easier to rejoice. Week three, in witnessing again Zechariah, who could not speak when the angel told him what God was going to do, and he didn't believe it, and he wanted proof. And so he was silenced the entire pregnancy of Elizabeth. And we realized in week three, Zechariah's amazement when he, he stood in awe and, and wonder when he realized what God had done and, and what God was doing and would do. And so when we make room for being amazed, when we pause, when we stop being so busy and simply step back, and, and we, we ask everybody to do this every weekend, to just breathe. Be intentional, seek out the wonder and the curiosity to be still and to listen and to watch. Because in those moments of wonder and awe, we can rejoice even in our weariness. How else would parents survive? Because they are worn out and yet all they have to do is look at the child and they rejoice grandparents, aunts, uncles. They can drive you crazy. They can keep you up at night. But to look at them, you can rejoice. So when we are open to the potential found in the unexpected or consider the possibility of what God is doing in our midst, we can rejoice. And just this morning, week four, we heard Mary respond to the weary world of her time with a song of hope known as the Magnificat. Echoing Hannah's song from the Old Testament from generations before her, Mary continued to carry, literally in her womb and metaphorically, carrying the hope of liberation, the hope of justice, the hope of restoration for God's people, for within her, through her, was going to be the Son of God. And she sang out her song of hope. When we share our songs of hope, our stories of hope, we can rejoice. And this evening, we share and celebrate and remember one of the oldest stories, most read, most celebrated, most well-known stories from Luke chapter 2. And I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax list. 
The first enrollment occurred when Quirinius governed Syria. Everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled. And since Joseph's background uh, belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage, and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angel stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your, your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great assembly of heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said glory to God in heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go right now to Bethlehem and see what's happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. They went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw this, they reported what they had been told about this child. Everyone who heard it was amazed what the shepherds told them. Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. Everything happened just as they had been told. The word of God for the people of God. This is a story that's been told a thousand times, more than a thousand times, and yet it's a story that should never get old. And I know that it's easy, you hear it every year, and, and it's easy just to kind of to read through that, and you're like, well, well, I don't see all of this. I don't hear all of this in that story. All I hear about is some emperor wanted to count his people and know how many people were in, in his, his empire, and so he had to go and do that, and some other people were there, and the city was really busy, and there wasn't any place for them, and so, oh, and she was pregnant, and like nine months pregnant, and had to go 80 miles. Yeah, sign me up for that. And so she gets there, and it's, you know, it's time, and the baby decides that it's time, and so they have to find a place, and yeah, the baby's born, and the shepherds come in, and they check it out, make sure they confirm that it happened. But we don't see and hear all of this until you lean into the story, until you find out some of the context, find out who these people were, what their lives were like, and then look at it in comparison to our lives and to our world and realize just how closely related it all is. It's a story about making... <clears throat> It's a story about making room. God makes room. God made a way. The angels told the shepherds, and they made room. Mary and Joseph were 
given a room in a space that declared there was no room. And the shepherds went to Bethlehem to see what had happened and found room with them. And they left telling everyone, making room in the world for the good news to be heard. And so tonight is all about making room. All of these stories thread together. The thread is making room, that God was making room even then, and God is making room now. And we stand at the edge of Christmas. And when we sing songs and and read scripture and listen to our stories, and sometimes, especially when we're weary, sometimes it's just kind of like, Yep, yep, mm-hmm, yep. For unto us a child is born, mm-hmm, oh, come all ye faithful. And it's the best news ever. But we're tired. And it's hard work. It's hard work to walk in faith, especially when you look at the world today. So we walk, we stand at the edge of Christmas, and we walk, we crawl, we lumber our weary souls tonight to the manger. May we make room like those before us. Elizabeth and Zachariah made room for the promise of God to be fulfilled. Mary and Joseph made room to bring the very Son of God into the world The one we call the innkeeper made room for Mary and Joseph when there was no room. The shepherds made room to trust, receive, and then share this divine message. Can we make room, people of God? That is the question being asked of our weary souls. Can we, in the midst of our weary world, whether you are a student, a young adult, a grandparent, whether you're home on break, whether you're looking for a job, whether you've been here in in church every weekend of your life, whether this is your first night here, can we make room? And what would that mean for you? Because it might look different than what it means for me. What would it mean to make room for kindness without the expectation of something in return? What would it mean to make room for love without condition? To make room for forgiveness without keeping score? What would it mean for all of us to make room for compassion without qualifiers? to make room for justice without vengeance, to make room for acceptance without changing the rules on them? What would it look like to make room for connection, wonder, to share our songs and stories of hope? How can we make room for the one who made room for us? Tonight, May all of us bring our weary selves right up to the manger. To lean in, to peer over, and to remember the answer and rejoice. Because when we do, we open the greatest Christmas gift ever. Church, there is always room.
just ask my mom and dad. Amen.